Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. Well, in case you missed last episode, unfortunately Colin will no longer be part of the show as he's taking a step back from covering the Sens. But of course we wish him all the best and the Cosper Pointcast will still live on just like it did in its early days. And today we have a first-time guest, but it's long overdue, and that's my Silver 7 Sens colleague, Brandon Mackey. Brandon, how's it going? Uh, doing as well as you can in 2020, Trevor, and uh, really excited to have you back on the Silver 7 Sens staff, man. I said it before, but uh, I was a big fan of your work before and after you left, so um, I'm jazzed to be getting the chance to write with you. How are you doing? Hey, yeah, I really, really appreciate the kind words. Uh, I'm doing well. And yeah, I mean, likewise, it's it's great to finally have you on. Um, you know, it's, it's a long time coming. So, and I know that you've been doing some great work on your own podcast, uh, internal budget. And of course at silver seven cents as well. Um, so, you know, just, just getting into it, there hasn't been too much sends news lately. Um, after October was probably the busiest month in years that we've seen from them, but I wanted to start off with a signing that came after the last, uh, Cosper Pointcast episode. And that's the Alex Galchenyuk signing as everyone's aware. He's a, he signed for one year and $1.05 million. Where do you see him slotting into this lineup? It's a good question because I think the lineup is so much in flux. Uh, and bringing a guy like Galchenyuk in, it, it really is going to depend on whether or not he can find some semblance of the consistent game that he used to have. At the beginning of the year, I definitely see him playing somewhere in the top six. Uh, just based on who the Senators have right now, they're going to be relying on a lot of young talent. And depending whether Tim Stutzler or plays the center or the wing, I think they're going to want to insulate their young guys a little bit. Like even if you look at their bottom six, you're going to be seeing guys like Philip Schlopik and Rudy Balsers in, and maybe even Alex Formanton in those slots. So I doubt they're going to want to cast them into massive top six minutes right away. So right early on, I see him probably taking on that top six role and maybe transitioning if you know the kids start outperforming him. Um, but yeah, in that sense, I guess it's kind of a relatively innocuous signing. It's a guy that can kind of play up and down the lineup and you're just going to kind of see what you can get out of him for now. Yeah. And I think that's a fair assessment. I think, um, I believe it was Haley Salvian who was talking about how he definitely has some similarities to Anthony Duclair in that he has offensive upside, uh, but is definitely a flawed defensive player as well. He's most likely going to play on the wing. I, I can't imagine why they would have to put him at center, but yeah, I think he's definitely going to start on that second line because DJ Smith doesn't seem like a coach who is going to want to just give these prospects um, time in the top six unless they don't deserve it. So, um, yeah, like w putting aside what you think will happen, would you personally put him on that second line at least to begin the year? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't see a point in... Uh, throwing kids to the wolves right away. And, and now if we're talking someone like Tim Stutzla uh, and he comes into camp and he's looking like an upper end NHL player, I don't see any harm in throwing him into that top six right away. But even then you can play him on a third line, maybe with a guy like you know, maybe Chris Tierney or even another young player like Logan Brown and just kind of ease him into the bigger minutes. Uh, but by the same token, um, you know, I, I like what you said about, DJ Smith not wanting to give players minutes they don't deserve. Uh, and, I, and I think Troy Mann was, uh, was big on that concept when he did the podcast with Haley and with Graham Nichols. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for that, uh, you know, especially on a team like this where expectations are going to be so low. There's no, there's no rush. Uh, so if Alex Formanton or Stutzler or any of those guys come in and have a killer camp and they play themselves into those minutes right away, hey, great. Uh, but, you know, if I were to go with the safest bet right off the bat, I would put Galchenyuk on that second line for sure. For sure. And it's it's kind of interesting to look at Galchenyuk's career arc, too. I mean, he's obviously a was he third? Yeah, he was third overall yeah, was pick third in 2012. Um, so, you know, he's the same age as Cody Cece. Mm -hmm. This is a guy who he had, let's see, five straight years with at least 40 points, including a couple 50 point seasons. And then last year. He has just 24 in 59 games. Um, so we know he's obviously capable of putting up a lot of goals. He scored 30 in 15-16 with Canadians. So, you know, perhaps he is a guy that will benefit from a change of scenery. And he was definitely a bit better in Minnesota um, after he got traded there from Pittsburgh. So who knows? And you know what? At the end of the day, 
I think if they're able to flip him at the deadline for like a third round pick or something, I think yeah. that's a win. Well, he's definitely a guy, the exact type of player that the Senators should be looking to take a chance on, right? It's you yeah. know, it's the same kind of mold as Anthony Duclair. Maybe not the same type of player, but the same kind of principle where you have a highly touted prospect coming into the league who's kind of lost his way and is just looking for maybe he's just a guy in need of a fresh start. I know he's played on a bunch of different teams already, but you never know. Um, sometimes a, a playing on a young, hungry team like Ottawa can be rejuvenating in some sense, especially when the expectations are going to be so low. So, yeah, I think if they want to flip him, then they could probably fetch a decent price for him. Uh, it's another strong draft coming in 2021. I know it's not quite 2020 levels, but there's some really nice players to be found in this draft. And uh, beyond that, too, and who knows, maybe it works out and they want to keep him. I think that was mm-hmm. what was going to happen with Anthony Duclair before things kind of went off the rails in the no- in the negotiation process. But it's low risk, high reward, which is exactly what the Senators should be chasing. They're not going to be competing for a Stanley Cup this year. So to me, there's no harm in taking a chance on a, on a Galchenyuk type player. For sure. And so now that the season is hopefully like a month and a half away, maybe two months, and rosters are set for the most part, People are starting to look at how teams will line up to begin the season, and I want to go through each position, and let's talk about who could be slotted where. So if we start first on left wing, we have obviously Brady Kachuk, Alex Galchenyuk, and Nick Paul as locks, plus there's also lots of prospects like Tim Stutzla, Rudolf Balsers, Philip Schlopik, and Alex Formanton. So out of that group, who do you think makes it out of camp? Well, it, left wing, I think, right now is the most interesting interesting position to talk about yeah. with regards to the Sens because they have so many players on that side of the ice. I totally agree. Kachuk, Galchenyuk, Paul, those guys are obviously locks. From there, it gets tricky because I think, and I don't think this is going to be a controversial opinion, that if Tim Stutzler gets released from Mannheim, and I believe he will, uh, that he's a lock too. Uh, on opening night you know that's that's a guy they're going to want to get in playing with their core right away um, I, th- I think he was probably the next most NHL ready player in the draft next to Alexi Lafreniere of course so I don't think there's any question about whether or not he can play at that level obviously he has to prove it in camp uh, but from but there are also so many other guys that have played their way into the consideration at the very least I think Rudy Balsers is probably going to play the right wing from the sounds of it. Uh, that that's just seems to be kind of where they have him slotted. Philip Schlotpick's a guy that can play left wing and play center. But who knows what's going to happen with Artem Anisimov and the wealth of other centers that the Senators have, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh, and But Alex Formanton too. Um, you know, everybody talks about Josh Norris like he's a guy who's pretty clearly outgrown the AHL after just one year. But people forget that Formington was right there with him the whole season in terms of points and production. So he could also be a guy that's ready to make that jump. Uh, we'll see. I don't think there is much harm in having some of those guys back in Belleville. Like if Alex Formington's playing first-line minutes in Belleville, or even a guy like Norris and Char Schlopik will be playing big minutes in Belleville too if he's down there. So, you know, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think Galchenyuk, Kachuk, and Paul are the locks. But to me, Tim Stutzla is also a lock, which is kind of weird to say because it eliminates those other guys from contention. But in my mind, you can't really go wrong with a combination of those four. Right. And the crazy thing, Brandon, is that all four of those guys, like all four of those players who are battling for spots, Stutzla, Balser, Schlopik, and Formanton, I think they could easily at least play on the third line for Ottawa this season. And so it's, yeah, I agree. it's very difficult for these guys to get into the lineup. I think, although... You mentioned Formanton obviously excelled last year at Belleville. I think he's the easiest to send down because he's the youngest. For and sure. I think he, you know, at, at junior, I don't think he really dominated. He was definitely a solid player. Last year, he definitely took a, a good step forward. I, I'm not opposed to, you know, letting him kind of marinate in the minors like they have with other guys. Interesting, too, to mention that I believe Balsers and Schlopik will have to clear waivers if they do go down. So, Will they get claimed? I'm not necessarily sure. I think Balsers might. Um, you know, then again, at the beginning of the season, lots of guys sneak through waivers. Um, and, and also, like, both of those guys, they're both 23. I believe Balsers is actually turning 24 um, in April. So I, I feel like at some point they do deserve a shot just because of Definitely. how well they've played in the minors, especially Balsers. So it'll be interesting to see how they... they manage that right because as you say 
Stutzle probably was the second most NHL-ready prospect in the draft. And yeah, if Mannheim's going to give him up, it'd be really hard not to play him just because, you know, he could be a real game changer. Yeah, he's, he's the franchise, right? And I know we all kind of talk about Brady Kachuk like he's the centerpiece of the Ottawa Senators right now, and he is uh, as it stands. But I really believe that a player of Tim Stutzla's caliber, it's only a matter of time before he's considered to be the top dog on this team. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, the, and the guy the future revolves around. And, and in, in talking about who's going to make opening night and who's going to get sent down, it's also important to consider that we could very well be looking at expanded rosters this season or some form of taxi squad. So there's a chance that uh, a guys guys like Schlopik and Balsers wouldn't have to clear waivers. That's but a that great they, point, they, yeah. they might just be in rotational roles in Ottawa, right? Um, I don't know how many games a guy like, say, Austin Watson is going to get. Um, he might, you know, he might play full season. He might play half a season. He might play 20 games. Who knows? Um, but I really do believe that they are going to get their shots. Uh, it's just, you know, I'm a big fan of the phrase, nobody rides for free, you know, especially on a team like this that has so much to prove and has, is building towards so much. I don't think it hurts anything to be putting, uh, obstacles in front of these players. And when I say obstacles, I don't mean like directly blocking them for playing in the NHL just for the hell of it. I mean, making it tough to crack the lineup. And that's, again, I, I keep referencing that awesome podcast that Haley and Graham did with Troy Mann. But he mentioned that. He mentioned about guys having to really make that jump and stake their claim to an NHL spot. Uh, it's something that I don't know if any of the prospects have really done yet. I would say the closest one is Drake Batherson, but he's still going to find that production at the NHL level, right? So... <sighs> You know, it, the waivers question is interesting. I think Tim Stutzla playing left wing instead of center is going to provide some provide cause for some very, very interesting decisions that uh, DJ Smith and the Ottawa Senators make. And I think it's really going to be indicative about how they feel about some of their prospects. 100%. And yeah, like you mentioned, that's, that's a great point with the taxi squad. You know, I wonder if they're going to be allowed to carry, I don't know, 16 forwards or something like that. I feel like that'd be perfect for a team like Ottawa, who, I mean, realistically, there's probably about 20 guys who could play in the NHL. Um, you know, whether or not they actually turn into NHL players is a different discussion. But, um, and actually, I, I want to come back to our, our point from a couple minutes ago, where, actually, well, I'll, I'll say my point first, and then you can you can go if you'd like as well. Yeah, sure thing. For the top 25, under 25 voting, <laughs> I actually had Stutzla ahead of Kachuk. So I had Stutzla at two. Um, I'm curious if you want to share yours or not. We're, we're getting into this early. Sean's going to be mad that we're just for this, it. just for these two. That's all. That's all. <laughs> yeah. No, I had, uh, I had Kachuk ahead of Stutzla. I won't say where I had them, but, uh, <laughs> but I, I had Brady ahead of Tim. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I mean, that'll be something we'll have to talk about another time. So uh, mm -hmm. that'll be for another episode, but um, yeah. Okay. So, so moving on to center, there's tons of question marks there as well. You got Chris Tierney, Colin White, and Artem Anisimov as the locks. Although, you know, who knows if um, how many games Anisimov will, will get into. And although White can play on the right, it looks like he'll be at center to begin the year. And I think that would be the right call. After that, it's pretty much just down to Logan Brown and Josh Norris for that final spot. Unless they, you know, want to put Nick Paul or something. Or, yeah, Paul or Schlopik at center or something. How do you see that last spot shaking out? Well, again, that's the most interesting one. I think if guys like Logan Brown or Josh Norris are going to play their way onto the NHL roster, they're going to have to prove that they can do it in a top six role. I don't think there's an appetite uh, from the Ottawa Senators to see either of those guys playing third, fourth line minutes. I, I mean, when Logan Brown had his call up last year, he started off uh, playing first line, second line, and his production kind of fell off. He got hurt, if I'm not mistaken, and was playing through some stuff. Uh, and and he went from being on the third and fourth line to being back in Belleville pretty quickly. Uh, and, and there's just no point to playing guys in those minutes. Um, guys like Brown and Norris are, are playmakers. They're offensive-style players. So pulling them up to the NHL to have them just play, um, you know, defensive grinder minutes, it, it's just not conducive to their development, I don't think. And Isimov is going to be the X factor for me here. If he comes into camp and he shows that he's capable of being a third, fourth line center, then it might be a while before you see some of those young players playing in Ottawa. But if he's 
doesn't quite have much left and he maybe gets the Mikel Bodker treatment that opens things up. I like what you said about Colin White. I like Colin White at center more than I like him on the wing for now, at least. Yeah. Uh, I think he's the perfect guy to have in that third, fourth line role. Uh, Colin White, to me, I think is going to top out as a Kyle Turris type player in the sense that he's probably, his upper end is probably second line, but he can function as a 1B in, in certain situations. Um, I think that's how he's going to shape out after he's, you know, shaking off the injuries and the slow start he had this year. Uh, I think if I'm betting on one guy to make it out of camp, I would probably say Logan Brown. Um, and again, this is really tough for me. Like, I feel like I'm going to flip flop back and forth on this like 50 times before yeah, the season yeah. starts. Um, the one thing that worries me about Brown is his skating. His skating is not bad, but it's not Norris is a better skater. Uh, and, you know, by all indications, it sounds like the Senator's brass is higher on on Norris. Again, that's just speculation on my part. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but but that's but that's the way they've sounded to me. Um, just because I think he separated himself a little more. Uh, Brown needs to stay healthy for one, uh, but he needs to come into camp with some improved acceleration. And if he's done that, then I don't see a reason why he can't play top six minutes to even just to start the year. Uh, but I think Norris right now probably has a little bit more of a complete game and his skating is a little bit ahead. So now I'm kind of talking myself into thinking Norris might be above <laughs> Brown, but I think Brown might get the benefit of the experience factor a little bit. And and we've seen it, right? His vision, his offensive ability is just unbelievable. It's almost the Jason Spezza-like at times. So right now I would kind of lean towards Brown over Norris, but... That's not to say I would be at all shocked if Josh Norris is on the Senators roster on opening night. I got to agree with that, all that assessment. I think in the short term, just because Brown does have that extra year of experience, I think you owe it to him to at least give him that shot. Yeah. You know, he's going to be 23 years old soon. He's, you know, I, I don't love giving guys a shot just because they're first round pick, but you know, you've invested a lot of time into this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, I think he deserves a shot to at least see what he can do. I think last year he was incredibly unlucky, not in not just in terms of like injuries, but in terms of on ice results. Like his his underlying metrics were were pretty solid. Yeah. Um, but you know there were so many times where I'd be watching the game and he just missed like a wide open net or something. And yeah. you know if if he scored a few more of those goals, I think people's perception of him might be a bit different. So um, for sure. And if you well, sorry, well, go ahead. No, I was just going to say he's coming to the end of his leash too, right? So yeah. I, so I think he's more likely than Norris to get the shot right away because, you know, it's like we were talking about Formington. Norris is younger. Uh, so, you know, it's more likely that they're going to be a little more patient with him. Logan Brown, like you said, he's turning, what is it, like 23, I think? So Yeah, almost 23. So, yeah, so he's getting to a point where it's, you got to show us something. Um, he's got to, he really has to take that next step and prove himself as an NHL player. I don't really think he has much more to gain in Belleville, which would be the real shame if he doesn't make the opening night roster. Um, I think Logan Brown is either going to figure it out or he isn't. And it's, it's going to come down to a couple of different things. Like I said, I really think he's missing that extra step in terms of, in terms of his acceleration. Uh, especially in today's game, you need that if you're playing a top six role. You know, you can't be a, a lumbering center down down the mid lane. And again, I, I think Brown is a good skater, but he needs to be a better skater. Um, the rest of his game is there. It's just a question of whether or not he can stay healthy. I really, one thing that really impressed me during his call up last year, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but uh, was his stick work. Um, you know, he, it looked like it was showing improvement from what I had seen from him in the past. Uh, he looked a little more comfortable. Uh, in, in the defensive zone still still a little ways to go yet but uh, but yeah I think if they give him an opportunity right away and he makes good on it then then there's something there if not I mm -hmm. I, I don't know if, if Logan Brown doesn't figure it out, figure out this season I don't see him in Ottawa in 2022 do you no no I mean it's definitely you don't want to say like absolutely last shot but it kind of is, especially it when you is, have yeah. guys like Stutzla and Norris, uh, you know, right behind you. And, but, and the trouble, and the trouble is too, right? Like if if they are going to move him, they can't wait for his value to bottom out because I don't think it's very high already. Um, I mean, you know, I don't even know if he you get a second round pick for him right now. No, and that's what I'm saying, right? Which which for 
a guy who was a blue chip prospect, a first round pick, who, if I'm not mistaken, was a bit of a reach at the t- considered a bit of a reach at the time, I should say. Um, yeah, th- that hurts. So they need to if they owe. So the Ottawa Senators really have a decision to make and they have to make it quickly. They have to decide whether or not they're going to move him. And if they are, they can't wait until the end of the year. You know, like they've, sure. they've got to do something relatively quickly. And you know what? I think they owe it to Brown and owe it to themselves to give him some of those top six minutes. That could be, you know, put him with Dadnov and Kachuk. Like, see what happens. It doesn't mean that's for the entire season. But if you, you know, put him in there for 5, 10, 15 games, see what he can do. And then, you know, if you need to send him down after that, then fine. But yeah, like, it wouldn't be undeserved to give him those minutes. So... I think long term, I would probably rather have Nor- Norris, and I actually have him slightly higher in terms of just my internal prospect rankings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you know, like we've been saying, Brown still is a very interesting prospect. He has that upside. He's a fantastic playmaker. He just has to put it all together. And of course, the most important thing is that he has to stay healthy. So yes. if you if you want to convince yourself that he isn't going to be an NHL player. The one reason you would, um, you know, like your biggest defense for that reason would be that he can't stay healthy. And that's kind of been true. Yeah, he's got to get doing some yoga or some, you know, some fascial stretching in the offseason or whatever, right? Like he's just, and, and you know, I'm not, obviously, I don't want to say Logan Brown doesn't take care of his body. I don't know. Um, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, is, it is easier for, for bigger guys to get hurt. Um, that's speaking as a guy who's 6'3", 240 and played football. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I think that's the part of his game that he probably has to figure out most, even more than the skating. Uh, somebody once told me a great saying is you can't make the club in the tub, right? Um, so, <laughs> so Logan's got to get healthy more than anything. I think in that sense, the extended layoff will probably do him some good. I'm glad he's not playing in Europe or anything like that for now. So, yeah. so we'll see where he goes from here. But um, you know, I, I, I haven't given up on Logan Brown, but in any sense, I think he's a really talented hockey player. I think he has sky high potential. It's just a question of whether or not he can put the pieces together to make something great out of it. And you know what, Brandon? Like long term, if Ottawa ends up with say Stutzla at as a first line center, Norris as like a high high end second line guy, and then Brown as a high end third line center who can you know go on your power play, that's amazing. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. No, with with yeah. the prospects they have in the system, it would take some major catastrophe for them not to be set at the center position. Like we haven't even talked about Shane Pinto yet. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and maybe yeah. he's a guy that can move to the wing. Same can be said of Colin White. Um, I don't think they have any plans to move Logan Brown to the wing, but uh, but yeah, it, it, you you nailed it. I, their center position is looking really sweet right now, and barring some kind of major calamity, they're going to be just fine at, at that position. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so let's uh, move to the last position at forward. Uh, right wing to me is pretty straightforward. Do you see it any different than Evgeny, Evgeny Dadnov, Drake Batherson, Connor Brown, and Austin Watson? I think Rudy Balsters is going to get some serious looks. Um, for, for whatever reason, they seem to like him playing more on the right side, which is interesting um, since they've shown hesitance to play players on their off wing, uh, mainly, namely Eric Branstrom. But but Duclair did see some looks there too, and Dadnov will as well. Uh, I think Rudy Balsters is going to, seri- going to get a serious look just because they want to know what they have in him, right? Like he's on a one-year deal this year. Um, I think they were disappointed with his season last year just based on injuries and everything like that. And there's an argument to be made that he didn't get get enough of a look at the NHL level. Um, but I think this year for Balsers is, I don't know if it's make or break, but it's a clean slate. Like, oh, like a couple months ago, I wouldn't have been surprised to see him traded. I thought it was really interesting that the Senators waited as long as they did. Well, maybe they didn't wait, but I think it was really interesting that it was as long as it was before he was somewhere playing in Europe. Um, and maybe they were holding him out. Maybe he just didn't have a team. Who knows? Again, it's all speculative. But, uh, you know, with, with as many prospects as they have on the wing uh, and with guys separating themselves more and more every year, I think Rudy really needs to make the jump this year. And and look, this is going to sound harsh, but if he can't beat out Austin Watson for a fourth-line role – then maybe he's not a prospect they, they should be keeping around going forward. Um, 
But again, I like Balsers. I think he's going to be good in that fourth line, third line role. I think he's going to be a valuable player in terms of secondary scoring. And once he as, and as he continues to round out his defensive game. But yeah, I think the overall composition on the right wing is going to be exactly that. Dadanov's going to play some huge minutes. Wouldn't be surprised to see Connor Brown doing the same. Um, Drake Batherson obviously is going to be really in there. I think he's going to get a major shot this year and take a big leap. Uh, the question is whether or not Balsers will play his way into some minutes as well. Yeah, and and yeah, Balsers could certainly, and hopefully, I guess, play play some minutes on that right side. The only rebuttal I would say to the the Austin Watson point is, we know that NHL coaches really love their role players, and Austin Watson is a guy that DJ Smith coached back in I want to say Windsor or when he was an assistant coach. Um, um, yeah, Windsor. Windsor, yeah. So I don't know how much now I'm not betting Watson will play every single game, but I don't know if he's gonna necessarily want Balsers on that fourth line because he'll he'll want to have sort of that that grinder on that fourth line like Watson is. So on in all honesty, it might be replacing a guy like Batherson on the second or third line. So I don't know. We'll we'll see what'll happen with, with Balsers, whether he, he plays on the left or right. Um I will say though that I really, really hope Batherson gets a shot in the top six because he's clearly way too good for the AHL. Yeah. And, you know, he, he's a guy that I think he has taken that next step. And, you know, you saw it right before COVID hit and everything. Mm-hmm. He was definitely a much better player. So I think he's definitely ready. Yeah. Like, well, like when they called him up at the beginning of the year or not called him up, sorry, when he made the team at a camp. Uh, he didn't look good those first few games. He looked a little hesitant. He looked like, you know, he was a little overwhelmed by everything. They sent they sent him back down to Belleville, which, if I recall correctly, was not a very popular opinion at the time, uh, or popular move at the time, I should say. But when he came back up, and it was within the first few games, that I was looking at Drake Batherson, and I was going, oh, he's a man now. You know, like he looked like he even looked a little bigger. But the thing for me was his confidence, right? Uh, he was more willing to make some moves with the puck. He was more willing to use his creativity. He was throwing his weight around a little bit. Uh, he's a bigger guy now, so he should be doing that. Um, you know, take advantage of it where you can. So, yeah, um, the thing is for me is to say a player has made has taken the next step that to me means they're producing consistently at an NHL level in whatever their role is. So what do you like, if you realistically think about Batherson's potential output, you're thinking what, maybe like 50, 60 point guy, like in that ballpark. I think 60 is his like highest range. Yeah, I, I agree. I would agree with that. So for me in his first couple of years, like in order for me to say Drake Batherson has taken the next step, I think on the low end, I need to see, you know, Provided it's an 82-game season, which I don't think it won't be, but we'll just say it is, you know, just for clarity's sake. Uh, I would at least need to see 30 points. I think 40 is a reasonable outlook. Um, That's kind of the range that guys like Brady Kachuk and Colin White hit in their first few seasons. Um, At the AHL level, yeah, I really don't think Batherson has anything left to prove. He's been the absolute class of the league the last two years. Um, so, so it's an unfortunate situation like Logan Brown. If you have to send Batherson back, uh, you have to wonder how much development he has left to do at that level. So I think for that reason, Drake Batherson's AHL days are over. Uh, I think there's a really realistic chance we see him at least in the top nine for, for most of the season. Uh, but for to take that next step, I need to see what he does this year. Um, I need to see him find that mm-hmm. at least a semblance of his AHL game at that level. Because even on his call up uh, this year, I don't I don't know if his underlying metrics were too hot. I don't have them offhand, um, but I do know that his production was was good, but it was nothing earth shattering. You know, uh, no. so so I do think he needs to find that kind of range where he's putting up 30, 40 points a year before we can safely say that Batherson has made like the total NHL jump. For sure. And and to be fair, so he's played 43 games, uh, career NHL games over the course of the past two seasons. Yeah, exactly. He does have have 19 points though in that time, mm -hmm. which is on pace for 36. But like you said, that'll have to be over the course of a full season. For sure. Yeah. And and that's the thing, right? Like he's got to... He's got to find it consistently, and it hasn't all been his fault. Um, if I recall correctly, they sent him down last season just to get him down uh, for the AHL deadline, yeah. Uh, so he would be eligible for the playoffs. And then COVID hit, and 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 here we are, right? 
So I think in a different uh, scenario wherein the Senators were pushing for a playoff spot last year and maybe even hoping to win a round or two, uh, that Batherson wouldn't have gone back down to Belleville. Um, but where they being where they are now, um, it made sense. And and again, like I think he he the one thing he hasn't gotten yet is that consistent look, which is what Ro- Logan Brown got last year, right? Like Logan Brown got a good chunk of games. Uh, so I think at the very least you'll see Batherson play something like that. And if he really, you know, if he really falls off, then maybe we'll see back, him back in Belleville. But but I think he's in Ottawa to stay. Yeah, I sure hope so. I mean. Honestly, like a lot of their future on the right wing depends on how well he develops because they're much thinner on the right side than they are at left wing and center. Um, But I will say adding Evgeny Dadanov makes their right wing situation a million times better because, you know, before that, after the Bobby Ryan buyout, it was very weak. Yeah, I I don't remember the number, but um, I put their roster through Jay Fresh's... uh, war generator war roster generator after they signed yeah. Dadnov, and there was market improvement right away um like i said oh, i wish i remembered the right off hand but it was like it was really noticeable like he was good for a couple extra wins for them uh so having connor having your connor brown not be your top right winger is <laughs> yeah. nice uh, and that's nothing against connor brown i've been very vocal about how much i love him as a player and i think he's a perfect fit for this ottawa team but you need that higher end point score. So if Dadanov can be that guy, at least for now, until Batherson develops to the point where he's hitting 50, 60 points a year and maybe the Senator signs somebody else or drafts somebody else or whatever, uh, they're in a good spot now on the right wing. Uh, I thought that was their weakest position going into the offseason, uh, at least at forward. But now, uh, now I'm much, much more confident about it. Um, I'm confident not having to play Connor Brown in top line minutes. I like that they're going to be able to ease Drake Batherson into those top six minutes. And I think it's just conducive to the development of the young players. Uh, but it's also going to make for a more fun product to watch and an overall better, better Ottawa Senators team, which is all you can ask for, right? 100%. Yeah. And I was, you know, we talked about this with, with Colin a few weeks ago. But yeah, just I was so shocked that that signing actually happened. Um, easily their best free agent signing in a decade, probably. So, um, yeah, right wing looks a lot better. Let's move on to left defense, where you have obviously Thomas Shabbat and Christian Willannon as the locks, with Mike Riley probably there as their third defenseman. And then on the right side, you have Nikita Zaitsev, Erica Branson, Josh Brown, and Artem Zub. Plus, you can't forget about Eric Branstrom, who will, I'm I'm assuming, be battling for a spot as well. Yeah. So, what do you think those pairings could end up looking like? I would not be surprised to see a heavy dose of a Thomas Shabbat, Josh Brown pairing. Mm. Um, I, and, and the reason I say that is again, Josh Brown is another guy who hasn't had much of a consistent NHL look. So I really do think there is something there. There's been a lot made of the fact that he was playing in a Florida system that wasn't necessarily complimentary of his abilities um, with Ottawa playing a box out defensive style. Uh, I think he's could be the kind of anchor on Shabbat's pairing. And I mean, anchor and holding them down defensively, not sinking the entire pairing. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a good opportunity for two young players to have some chem- chemistry. It's a guy DJ Smith was familiar is familiar with. And listen, I know, um, I know people don't love that, that that's a thing that coaches do, but I think there is something there. Um, I think trust is a, is, a, is an important thing. It's just going to be a question of whether or not that trust is well-deserved or whether it's misplaced. Um, so far, I haven't objected to many of DJ Smith's roster or lineup moves. Uh, I don't find myself scratching my head as much as I did with previous coaching staffs. Um, but I think those two could complement each other's games. Nikita Zaitsev, I mean, he's probably always going to be in that top four just based on who else the Senators have, right? Um Erica Branson's another guy I could see playing with Thomas Shabbat at least just at least early, um, but I, I can't help but feel like the Senators might want to prioritize their their younger players. And and who knows? We don't know what Artem Zub is yet, right? Uh, you know, he could end yeah. up being a real diamond in the rough, or he could end up being a guy who never really even cracks the NHL roster. Um, I think at the very worst, he'll be a competent performer on the right side. <sighs> 
Mike Riley, who knows? Uh, I, I don't know how the Senators view him, honestly. Uh, I don't know if they view him as a bottom-pairing guy or as a seventh defenseman. So I think part of that will play into what we see from Eric Brandstrom as well. Again, he's going to have to earn it. Um, that's been the philosophy from this organization is that these young players have to grab that brass ring. You know, They have to really stake their claim to an NHL spot. So especially a guy like Brandstrom is going to have to do that. Uh, he's playing well in Switzerland right now, but we're going to have to see what he looks like in camp. He obviously needs to put on some size. Uh, and he, and you know, and he does have to find that confidence at the NHL level and it's coming and he has so much time. Like, what is he going to be 21 this year or something like that? Like, like yeah. Every, every, yeah, everybody's worried about Eric Branstrom. Like chill out, like, like for God's sake, <laughs> the kid has nothing but time ahead of him. Um, and, and I really do believe he's going to be a special player. So, so yeah, um, the one thing I would really kind of be interested to see whether or not the Senators do it is, is that Shabbat Brown pairing. Um, we know what Thomas Shabbat is. It's just a question of what we're going to have on the right side, because there's so many variables right now. There's so much youth. There's so many guys who haven't had extended NHL looks like the combination of Josh Brown and Artem Zub have played less than a hundred NHL games, you know, which is, mm-hmm. which is, I think a big reason why they brought in good Branson say what you will about his ability and his stats or whatever, but he's a good guy in the room and he's beloved by his teammates and he's got some valuable experience that he can at least pass on. Right. Um, in terms of, you know, in terms of knowledge or whatever. So, so I'm interested to see it. Um, you know, I, I, this has been kind of a long winded rambling answer, but, I think a lot of that is because it's so hard to know what to expect, right? Um, but I would at least like to see a Shabbat-Brown pairing for a little bit to see if they can build some chemistry because I think they complement each other's styles really well. Yeah, you bring up some great points. And I definitely would love to see a, a Shabbat-Brown pairing on the on that first pairing. The crazy thing is that... I think you could easily make the case that Brown is their best right shot defenseman right now, which, I mean, definitely sounds complimentary of Brown, yeah. but it's kind of more speaks to how how weak their right side is because I don't think it's a stretch to suggest that they're definitely the weakest uh, right shot defense group in the league right now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, Brown actually didn't have that bad results last year. Like, he was actually a pretty competent guy who could you know, be your mm. four, five, six defenseman. So, um, you know, playing him with, with Shabbat will be pretty interesting to see if he can actually handle those matchups. Um, and he is a guy that I think he was like, I tweeted out a few, like last month, but he was like top five or something in the league in terms of drawing penalties. Yeah. So, you know, he, he's actually a decently useful player. And we know that the Shabbat Zaitsev pairing just does not work as much as Smith used them last year despite having DeMello there. Um, so I think anything but Zaitsev and Shabbat would be fantastic. Um, I don't know. And then what do you think about Branstrom? I, I know you must have listened to the interview with Haley and, and Graham with Troy Mann the other day. Course, he yeah. was saying that he prefers Branstrom on the left side. Do you think we'll ever see him on that right side? Just because it seems like there's much more of an opening uh, for him to play on that right side. We'll never say never. Um, you know, I think the Senators have done some, have been, have shown a little bit of that willingness to adapt. You know, moving Anthony Duclair around, moving, um, oh geez, I'm moving Colin White to the wing, um, playing Anthony Duclair on the penalty kill. You know, that that's that's creative. Uh, so I think based on the level of creativity and level of openness to trying new things that we've seen from this staff. I wouldn't rule it out, but it seems like an organizational philosophy that they like, especially defensemen playing on playing on their strong side. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Brandstrom's comfort on that side uh, is a testament to how good he is and how good he is on the right side. So it wouldn't shock me. I think at the very least, we'll definitely see it on the power play at some point. Um, but, but that's about where I... But yeah, it, it's so tough, right? Because... You know, they, the Senators have a tendency to kind of talk out of both sides of their mouths with something like this. Um, I would say for the next couple of years, Brandstrom is pretty much locked into that left side. But, you know, over time, it really wouldn't surprise me to see him transition to that left side, especially with, you know, if you want to keep this defensive core together. On the left side alone, you have Thomas Shabbat. 
I think I think Jake Sanderson makes a jump to Ottawa in 2022. He, he, in my mind, he's that good of a player. Um, you can and should keep Christian Milanin around, so having him on your bottom pairing is nothing to sneeze at. Then on the right side, you have Jacob Bernard-Docker and Lassie Thompson coming in, and or whoever you add or whoever you keep out of this current core. Maybe it's Brown if he separates himself or whatever. And then where do you put Brandstrom? To me, that's the perfect time to move him to the right side. Play, exactly. play Sanderson on the left side with that kind of steady, more steady, two-way, understated game. Uh, and then you can have Brandstrom on the right side to open things up a little bit offensively. Uh, that seems like it could be a match made in heaven. That's a long ways away, obviously. But I think that's something that the Senators should at least explore. I'm a big believer in complementary styles on defense. We saw that a lot with Carlson and Mathot. Um, even guys like Phillips and Volchenkov, you know, Volchenkov was kind of a guy that would throw himself all over the ice, blocking shots and, and do or throwing hits or doing whatever. But Phillips was always there at the, as that safety valve, right? As, as always in proper position, always had his stick in the right lane. And, you know, that makes for a happy marriage in terms of defense partners. So uh, that's something I would like to see down the line, even just purely from a hockey fan sense, right? I think those two guys with how talented they are and, you know, how good they are at their respective roles, I would be really, really psyched to see something like that. Yeah, and I think, I don't want to speak this into existence, but I hope that they're not looking at Shabbat, Thompson, Lannan as these offensive guys and then looking at Branstrom and saying, eh, like we have too many kind of no. these offensive, offense-first guys. So I hope that they really invest in Brandstrom and, you know, give him, you know, like if, if he doesn't assert himself as an NHL player this year, I really hope they don't sell low on him or something like that no, because I, would be I think he does. <laughs> I think he has that really high potential. And yeah, like you're saying, if he can, you know, a pairing, a second pairing of like Sanderson and Brandstrom, whew, yeah, that would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I think they love Eric Brandstrom. I don't think, Unless somebody comes kicking down their door with an offer you can't refuse, there's not a snowball's chance in hell that Eric Branstrom is not an Ottawa Senator going into 2022. I and hope. Pro- and, and probably <laughs> even beyond that. I know it can be tough to have faith with this group sometimes, but I think if anything, their asset management and their asset evaluation, I should say, in terms of their youth, uh, has been pretty spot on so far. Um, it remains to be seen what comes out of the last few draft classes once they've fully developed and hit their peaks. But... You know, a lot is made about the return that the Ottawa Senators got from Mark Stone. I'll say this. I think it was more than the imminent deadline that had Pierre Dorian willing to settle for Eric Branstrom in a pick and a second round pick uh, and Mm -hmm. not a first. I think they see Branstrom as that type of player. Um, I think they see him as a guy that they couldn't pass up on in when making that trade. There's a reason, you know. Pierre Dorian came under a lot of fire for his post Mark Stone trade media availabilities. And rightfully so. I was one of the people that criticized him pretty vocally, but uh, there's a reason he was giddy to get Eric Branstrom in a way that we really haven't seen him giddy to acquire a player before uh, save for maybe Tim Stutzla. So I think Branstrom is a guy that they see as a core piece going forward. And if you're number one and two defensemen or Thomas Shabbat and a developed Eric Branstrom that plays to his capabilities, you are in good, good shape on the blue line. 100% agreed. Yeah, I just really hope he gets that opportunity because he definitely is that special talent. Um, let's move on to goalie really quickly. I'm not sure if you have, you know, any any thoughts about the tandem. Obviously, it's going to be Matt Murray and Marcus Hogberg, but yeah. how confident are you in that tandem? I guess in the immediate future, so this season and also moving forward. Very. I'm very confident. I think, you know, a lot gets made of Matt Murray's regression over the past few seasons, but I think there are a variety of factors that go into that. Uh, He had some personal issues that he was going through, um, some personal losses that he was dealing with. He had some injuries. He had some not great uh, defensive Pittsburgh teams in front of him. Uh, But you don't win two Stanley Cups before you hit the age of 26 by accident. Uh, you know, and you can say what you want about 2017 and him coming in late. The fact of the matter is there were a lot of games that the Penguins deserved to lose that Matt Murray won for them. 
And I'm talking mm-hmm. ice in his veins games, like playoffs, sudden, like elimination overtime games. So for me, I'm very confident in Matt Murray. I think he bounces back strong, especially uh, getting a chance to work with Pierre Gruel, the Ottawa Senators goaltending coach. As far as I'm concerned, he's a wizard. Uh, every Everyone I've spoken to who's had dealings with him or, or who has worked with him, they absolutely rave about him. I, I know Kevin Mandeley's, um seems pretty excited about the chance to work with him. So I really like the idea of getting a Matt Murray, especially at the price they got him at. They got him for way below market value based on everything we were hearing going into the draft. So, so I love the Matt Murray trade. I think he, at the very least, is Ottawa's starter for the near future. Uh, as far as Marcus Hogberg goes, he's a guy who I wasn't particularly high on. That totally proved me wrong last season. He made the jump, and he was phenomenal. Uh, his stats are a little deceptive because he didn't have many wins, but he was absolutely battered with shots, and he held them in a lot of games. Like, how many games did the Senators lose in overtime with, or a shootout with Marcus Hogberg in net, right? So mm-hmm. I think um, for him to really take the jump or really – show that he's the backup for at least the backup for the for the for, for the foreseeable future uh he needs to bump his save percentage up a little bit i think this anywhere around that kind of 914 915 save percentage would be good for him um i believe he was some i believe it was on the lower end of 900 this year if i'm not mistaken um, he was at 904 yeah so for him i think he needs to get above 910 for him to really prove that he's an nhl goaltender especially in a shortened season that should be the expectation um so based on how they've both played and based on in my mind murray's likelihood to bounce back i'm goaltending is one of the positions i'm most confident in going into the season for sure interesting i definitely have i think both guys certainly have a lot of potential um you know what, though? I think there's so many different variations of how this season could go in terms of their performance this Definitely, season. Because, yeah. you know, as we've seen, as you mentioned, Murray had a couple, like two out of the last three seasons were, were pretty bad. And then Hogberg definitely needs to take that next step, as you were saying. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the risk for getting Murray was pretty low. And, yeah, I, I think it's fantastic that they have a guy who has won two Stanley Cups. Like, I don't even know who would have been the last player on the Senators that has two Stanley Cup rings already. So Before, they were 26 years old, too, right? Like, that's a pretty yeah. damn good accomplishment. No, I mean, he was so. he, he was uh, he was 23 when he won the second Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing, too, is that Hogberg and Murray are actually the same age, even though it seems like Murray's been around forever. Oh yeah. Um, both born in 1994. So... Yeah, I, I think they definitely have a lot of potential. Um, moving forward, too, Ottawa's pretty set with with goaltenders. You know, Mandalay's, Mad Sogard, uh, Joey Decord, you know, recent draftee Levy Marilainen, uh, Gustafson. Like, you would assume that one of these guys is going to turn into an NHLer. So I feel pretty good about that. How about overall, though? Just, just a last thought for um, going into this season. How are you feeling about this team compared to last year? I think they're better, and I think they're better for a few reasons. I think they've added an impact player in Dadnov, which is huge. Um, their blue line, you could make an argument that it's it's slightly worse, but I think the return of a healthy Christian Willanen will help to balance that out a bit. Uh, if the if the entire blue line can stay healthy, that is, uh, you know, that one's hard to predict because again, we're not sure what we're going to get out of Josh Brown. We're not sure what we're going to get out of Artem Zub. Um, so the blue line is almost kind of a wait and see thing for me. I think they're deeper at center with young players, as long as at least one of them is ready to go in a full-time NHL capacity. We'll have to see when it comes to camp. Again, mm-hmm. we talked about the right wing a lot. I'm much more confident in on that side of the ice. Now I rave about the left wing. They've gotten, I think a better goaltender than any of the three that they had last year. Um, and I'm more confident with the stability of the tandem again with, you know, provided they stay healthy. So I think the Senators begin to climb their way out of the basement. Uh, It's hard to predict how the standings are going to shake out based on different divisional formats and whatnot. But I see the Senators at least improving marginally this year. Like if they're hovering around 20th place overall, and between that kind of 20-25 range, I think that's a victory for them. For sure. And I could see them potentially making that step. I think it definitely depends on guys like Murray and also those young players 
Batherson, Brown, Norris, if Stutzler plays, people like that, um, who will be difference makers for this season and moving forward. So, but you have a a great segue talking about <laughs> divisions because that's the next thing I want to talk about. So, uh, although the NHL hasn't officially announced anything yet in terms of a schedule and dates and things like that for the upcoming season, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Ottawa will be in an all Canadian division that only plays against each other for the regular season and playoffs. Who knows what will happen, but how do you think that's going to play out for Ottawa and the rest of the division as well? Well, well, you're right. It definitely seems like the writing is on the wall that, that that's what's coming down the pipe when the season starts in January or February. Um, my feelings on it are kind of mixed. I think it'll be interesting. Uh, I am dying for some semblance of normalcy just in life in general, right? So <laughs> a modified NHL season kind of still leaves a bitter taste in my mouth uh, in that sense. But I think it's going to be, it's a, Looking on the bright side, it's like the bubble, right? It's it's something unique. It's something we're probably all going to remember for the rest of our lives uh, that maybe we'll look back a little bit fondly on because it took our minds off the horrible, fiery hellscape that is the rest of the world right now. Uh, so all that's to say, I think it'll be fun to watch. Um, I think more games against the Habs and the Leafs is always a good thing just based for entertainment value. Uh, that's going to ratchet those rivalries up to 11. And I think that's just good for the game and good for viewership. Um, to say not, to say now, when you talk about their performance, I know Eugene Melnick had the interview, I think it was on Bob McCowan's podcast a few days ago, that uh, he didn't seem very confident that the Senators were going to, going to be successful in this kind of format. Um, he seemed to indicate that he thought it was going to be another lost year for them where they were going to get slapped around. There's probably a little bit of merit to that. Um, but again, I don't know how good any of the Canadian teams really are. Um, yep. You know, like, and that's the thing. I don't think Calgary's very good. Uh, I think Edmonton is incredibly talented, but their net mining situation is abysmal in my mind. Um, I think, you know, maybe they've gotten a little bit better in terms of experience and whatnot. So I could see them doing pretty well. Vancouver had a great playoff. Um, they looked like they were on an upward traje trajectory and then they made some moves that were really puzzling and that I think may have set them back a bit. Um, I don't understand them signing Braden Holpe. Um, I don't understand them letting Tyler Toffoli walk. Um, Montreal, I don't think they're very good. Toronto, I think they'll be pretty good. I think they really improved this offseason and, and they've addressed some glaring needs in their roster. Um, so I'm excited to see it, um, just based on the fact that it'll be something new and something interesting. As far as the Senators do, um, I think if they're finishing anywhere around the middle of that pack, uh, then again, that's a pretty sizable victory. Do I see that happening? No. Um, again, just because based on proximity, they're probably going to be playing teams like Toronto a lot. Um, so I see them probably finishing anywhere from that you know, if we're just talking, like, let's rank the Canadian teams one to seven. I think the Senators probably finished somewhere from fifth to seventh. Um, you know, maybe even fourth if they can go on a nice little run. But I think it's going to be another year where the Senators are out of the playoff conversation relatively quickly, um, but with some visible improvement. Yeah, and I think fourth or fifth would be an absolute miracle. I don't think it's impossible, but... Uh, you know, if that happened, that would be incredible to me. Yeah, I agree with a, a lot of what you're saying with a lot of these teams are pretty flawed. I think the Leafs are clearly the best team. I would and agree. They've addressed a lot of needs that they've had. And, yeah. you know, I think a guy like TJ Brody is a huge addition for them. For sure. Um, yeah. But then you look at those other teams in the middle, like you're saying, I think literally any of those teams so calgary winnipeg edmonton montreal vancouver i think you could organize them any way you want between two and six and it would make sense to me to be honest because there's they all have good players but yeah like they all have one big issue whether it's you know canucks they lost markstrom or yeah. montreal they just don't really have like a, a star or um edmonton their their defense still defense and goaltending still isn't very good so it's it's going to be pretty interesting to watch all these just kind of mediocre teams and yeah. one of them is going to finish second and who knows who it, yeah. you know who knows what's going to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Winnipeg walk away with the Canadian division. Um 
I yeah. think they got decimated by injuries going into the bubble playoffs. You know, people look at them like they got beat by a bad Calgary team, but they were so hurt. They really had no chance of competing in that series. They've got a goaltender who's one of, if not the best goaltender in the league. He's at least top three. Uh, you got a great captain and a guy like Blake Wheeler, Patrick Line, who I know there's been rumors about them shopping. They've added some depth on defense. Mark Shifley, I think, is probably the most underrated player in the league. So I really see them making some noise if they can stay healthy and if they can continue on the trajectory that they're on. Um, but yeah, I, I think if I had to pick one right now, Toronto would probably be the best team. But I wouldn't be surprised to see the Jets make some noise too. For sure. They definitely have so many talented players. They've definitely been worse than they should have been based on how much talent they have. But you know what? It'll be really interesting to watch. And I just hope that we have NHL hockey come some point in January. That'd be great. Um, but let's finish off the show with a few listener questions. Um, so thank it. you to people for sending those in via Twitter. Let's start with the first one. Friend of the show, uh, Matt Bosty goes, oh, no. which one of Melnick's horses do you think was the strongest in a rain horse or in a rain race? See, Bosty and I are doing our own podcast, which is going to be coming out very <laughs> soon. And I'm mad that he doesn't save this heat for ours. Like, why is he just giving this to you for free? Like, <laughs> I, like, I don't understand. Like, he's, Nobody ever accused him of being smart, but like, my God. Uh, as far as Melnick's horses, I couldn't name one offhand. I think it was James Wood who had, uh, what do you call it, rain in the spending or whatever. Yeah, that he says. Funny. Like, I can read I, it. Okay. Yeah, please do. <laughs> he went, uh. And here comes rain in the spending, rounding the final <laughs> corner and entering into the home stretch. Rain in the spending, making a move, moving to the inside, coming up alongside unbridled success. Another one of Melnick's horses, and it's a photo finish. That is too funny. Uh, I usually don't laugh at much of James' stuff because he irritates me on a fundamental <laughs> level. But that is, but that is hilarious. Good on uh, you, sir. <laughs> All right, and then. Okay, I don't know how to answer this one, but no, I... uh, Bronson goes, <laughs> oh, if no. you and Trevor's podcast had a knife fight, who would win? I mean, you've got 80 episodes, what? I've got, I've got, I'm going on to 43 now, so I think just based on experience, you win, and, and you're probably more professional. <laughs> you're outpacing me, though, Brandon. You, what are you at, one a week now? Yeah, yeah. Oh, but you sung, yeah. My, you sung, but the problem is you've sunk me now because you sung my praises at the beginning and you've now you've oversold it. People are going to go in and they're like, oh, well, this is not nearly as good as oh, you said. Oh, damn, damn. <laughs> A lot to live up to. Um, <clears throat> okay, next one comes in from Tim Turriff. He says, was Lassie Thompson the right pick? Are you worried about his season so far, especially if there's a chance he doesn't come to uh, North America if the AHL season doesn't, or if the AHL doesn't play the season? So just to unpack that one by one, uh, yeah, I absolutely do think it was the right pick. Um, I know by consensus it was a reach, but which what Ottawa Senators pick isn't. Um, I think he's a right-handed defenseman that they desperately need. I, I mean, look at their right-handed defense situation now and now take away Lassie Thompson from their prospect pool. Do you like that at all? Because I certainly don't. Yeah. Um, there's no depth there without Lassie Thompson and guys like and guys of his ilk, even guys like Christian Yaros deserve some deserve some praise in that sense. So yeah, he was the right pick. Uh am I worried about his season? No. Um, people are gonna knock him like saying, Oh, he's playing in Europe, but that's a really tough league he's playing in. The fact that Roby Yarventi is having as much success in that league is, as he is is remarkable at, at his age. So no, I'm not worried about Lassie Thompson. I think the transition to the North American game might take him perhaps a little bit longer. Um, but I, I, I would expect him to be a full-time Ottawa Senator relatively soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, four more here. We'll try to rush through these. Okay, take your time. Okay. Uh, Andrew Robinson, kind of touching on what we talked about earlier. So he goes, how many games do you expect the Senators to win in an all-Canadian division if there's just a 60-game season? Uh... Hmm. 60 games is tough um, because, you know, there's not a whole lot to compare it to. I would think if it's 60 games, uh, I could see them winning probably around 20. Um, I think 30 would be on the higher end of what they would win. Uh, but I think anywhere from that 20 to 30 range is probably a safe bet. I don't think they lose any any less than 20. They might come last in the division. Uh, but I would be surprised if they, you know, if they win less than 20 games in a 60 game year. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Um, 
Friend of the show, Taylor G, he says, ask Brandon what his thoughts are on Mike Fisher as a country music artist. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Mike Fisher was my all-time favorite player growing up. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, he's my hero, and I got to meet him, and he's a fantastic dude. But uh, all that is to say, um, oh, man. I don't know if you've seen it, but he covered one of his, one of Carrie Underwood's songs. <laughs> yeah. It was about, I think it was about hunting deer or whatever. And that's like, it's like classic. Like it's funny. It's a little pitchy, little pitchy, but uh, a lot of great country singers are, aren't much in the voice department. It's all about the lyrics <laughs> and the lyrics in that one were funny as hell. So, so I'll give Mike a passing grade as a country singer. What a guy, what a guy. All right. Uh, this one comes in from James Mellish. He says, what are your thoughts on Jonathan Davidson and his future with the org? He's the number one most forgotten prospect at this point. Yeah, I, I don't want to say he's the most forgotten. I think that's a bit harsh. Uh, I think Davidson has yet to separate himself from the rest of the pack, which is difficult to do in a prospect pool that's as deep as Ottawa's. As far as his future goes, I think he projects as probably a solid third or fourth liner. The issue is he's going to have to outperform guys like Philip Schlopik and guys like Rudy Balsers, and he's going to have to do it relatively quickly. Uh, and especially if the Senators continue to add talent on the left side, you're adding Alex Formanton to that bottom six, which makes his which makes Davidson's path even tougher because Formanton is the better player and the higher end prospect. Um, so as far as the future goes, I think he could end up being a solid uh, like a solid bottom six guy. But uh, he's got his work cut out for him. Not that he's a bad player by any means. He's not. He's a phenomenal skater. Um, but he really needs to round out his game, and he needs to do it in a, in a somewhat timely fashion. Oh, yeah. And he's tw he's 23 years old now, too. So exactly. definitely yeah. time is ticking with him. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Especially when guys like Schlopik and Balsers get older, right? So Yeah, exactly. All right, last question comes in from Derek Lee. He says, curious on your thoughts, re the league's proposed changes to escrow slash salary retention. Does this essentially stall progress towards a January 1st start date and potentially lead to a lockout season, or do you feel it will be accepted by the PA? Why are you asking the English major math questions? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't had to do this kind of answer this kind of question. Since know, isn't I was escrow in high the best to talk about? Yeah, yeah, I picked English for a reason. Uh, but but no, in all seriousness, I think there is some cause for concern. Um, Pierre Lebrun in an article for The Athletic today seemed to indicate that. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, I think based on the financial hit that the NHL's already taken this year, it would take something pretty drastic for things to escalate to a lockout. Uh, I don't think they can afford it, to tell you the truth. So yeah. I, I think it could potentially delay things a little bit. Um, but I think if any, I think if more than anything, it's all smoke right now. But it feels like a powder keg situation that could really kick off into something not good. Uh, but for right now, I'm optimistic that we're going to get an NHL season just based on the finances of it. I, I, I don't think... I don't think either party in with regards to the NHLPA and the NHL itself can afford not to play this season. I, I just don't see that as a feasible scenario for the league. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think just based on time, I would bet that the season starts more in like mid or late January rather than January yeah. 1st. But you know what? Like I'll take it. So I'm fine with that. I would think early February. Yeah. I, I yeah. think that's when we'll see the season start. And I think, Unlike what we've seen in past lockouts, I think both sides will be willing to make concessions. Oh yeah, be because they have the, the common enemy of COVID nineteen and uh, what it's done to their to the league's balance. Uh, so I think that will kind of win out in the end. Uh, maybe it leads to some bad faith dealings in the future. Maybe we see a lockout a few years down the line. But for right now, with the league's financial situation but it being what it is, I don't think there's any scenario that they'll risk a lockout in. 100%, yeah. All right, well, that was our last question, and I think that'll do it for today. But before we sign off, uh, where can people find your work online, Brandon? Oh, why would you want to do that? <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Brandon Mackey underscore. This new fleets thing has added a whole new level to my content. Please check it out because I, I, I like pe making people mad with it. Uh, beyond <laughs> that, uh, the podcast is called Internal Budget. New episodes coming out every week for the most part. And the writing it can be found at the same place as Trevor Shackle's writing at silver7sends.com. Like I said, I, I, I've said this 
time and again, but I would put our work up against anybody else's out there. And uh, we're really excited to have Trevor back on the staff. And there's going to be some serious content coming in the next few weeks and months. So make sure to check it out. Hell yeah. I really appreciate it and appreciate you coming on the show, Brandon. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. Uh, and I, I don't know if we've made this public yet, but you're going to be joining me on internal budget. So I, I'm very excited Woo. about that. Excited to, <laughs> we're excited to double dip here. Double dip, okay. baby. <laughs> Should be fun. All right. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Thank you. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS and read my articles at Silver7Sends. And you can also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CPPointcast on Twitter where you'll get any updates about the show. Thanks for sticking with the show. It's always appreciated. Adios.